How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked on Bucks, presented by BrewHoop.com. I'm Frank Madden. Welcome back to a Tuesday edition, September 20th. In the news today, I'm sure Bucks fans were mostly paying attention to the Giannis press conference, making official the deal that we discussed in our emergency podcast. Uh, Eric Name and I talked a bit about the trade-offs and reasoning and why we should generally be very happy about the new $100 million extension for four years that Giannis Kumbo signed today. Uh, press conference, as you imagine, was uh, everybody happy and saying positive things, uh, and certainly I'd say a day that Bucks fans should feel good about. Uh, probably the most interesting one was sitting up there with John Hammond and Jason Kidd. Giannis sort of started off by making some thank yous to to obviously important people and his family was obviously kind of first on that list but um the thanks he had for John Hammond I think might have been the the most interesting and and was very heartfelt uh in kind of recounting John Hammond's journey with Giannis from scouting him way back when uh in Greece during the 12-13 season making the pick uh in June of 2013 to bring Giannis to Milwaukee and obviously that was a pick that changed his life changed his family's life and uh it's pretty cool to see a picture tweeted out today by by the Bucks showing a picture of Giannis signing his first contract with John Hammond, picture of Giannis signing his his new $100 million contract with John Hammond, and kind of hard to believe it's only been three years. Uh, besides that, we'll have a fair bit more on that from the press conference, including some highlights. It was great to see his number of teammates there, Chris Middleton, Greg Monroe, Jabari Parker, Thon Maker, among those in attendance as well. Uh, but besides that, today in the podcast, uh, Eric's not with me. We're going to be recording some more stuff tonight. But uh, for today, we have actually a piece I recorded with Dan Feldman of NBC Pro Basketball Talk and the host of Locked on Pistons. Dan is the founder of also of Piston Powered, a uh, great Pistons blog. But he's now kind of focusing full-time with uh, the national stuff. You've probably heard him on uh, the Dunked On Basketball podcast as well. And Dan and I got into a bunch of topics, kind of went back and forth about the Pistons and Bucks. Always interesting to hear Dan's perspective as a guy who follows the entire league, not just the Central Division, um, but thinking about the kind of pluses and minuses in Milwaukee. He got to bother me a lot about Greg Monroe, not in a not in an antagonistic sense, but got to talk a bit about Greg Monroe. And... Uh, I got to talk a little bit about uh, the kind of really interesting roster that that Detroit has, and uh, it's a roster that strikes me as maybe not having the top end talent to be a com- you know a, a real title contender with the guys they have now, but uh, certainly a very interesting roster, a deep roster of young guys, and will be really interesting to see if they can improve on the kind of breakthrough season they had last year, and we'll be interested to see if the Bucks can uh, make some headway in terms of trying to catch them. Uh, in the Eastern Conference standing. So, in any case, here's Dan and me talking about the Bucks and Pistons. 
I'm Dan Feldman with Locked On Pistons, and we're here for another episode of a, a crossover episode, joined by Frank Madden of Locked On Bucks. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan, and I'm just so excited to talk about the uh, huge Michigan-Wisconsin rivalry that, that obviously is going to exist in the Central Division this year. <laughs> I, I don't think there's anywhere to start beyond Greg Monroe. Right? Of course, of course, the Pistons fan would say that, right? Well, you know, I was I was a little sad to see him go. I I didn't think the Pistons handled it right, but maybe they did. Just how <laughs> bad was it for Greg Monroe in Milwaukee last year? You know, I think he was scapegoated to some extent. Um, you know, if you look at sort of the on-off numbers, it's not like putting Greg Monroe on, on the bench was some you know magical solution to the Bucks' defensive problems. I think. They probably were getting figured out somewhat defensively. Um, the kind of aggressive system they used to great effect in fourteen fifteen, I think, was bound to see some regression. As, as you know, a little bit of a smoke and mirror type type defense, I think. Um, and obviously losing Zaza and, and Jared Dudley, and you know, replacing them with with Greg and Jabari Parker effectively is is not going to help any defense. So um, I think Greg certainly is part of the issue defensively, um, but I think. You know, there's certainly a, a lot of reasons why the defense took a step back. And uh, offensively, I mean, it's tough to complain much about, you know, what, what he's capable of doing. I mean, he, I think, had the some of the best numbers of his career in some terms of efficiency. I think he, his PER might have been a career high last year. He led the Bucks, was efficient scoring. Um, you know, he's he's kind of in that, like, space where as a guy who's often getting post touches, he's not, like, incredible enough that you necessarily want to base your offense around that. Um, but he does find ways to to score efficiently overall, and I think I saw some of like the clutch stats in the league, and he was one of the absolute best sort of late game guys. Which you know you wouldn't necessarily think of Greg Monroe as like this valuable clutch guy, especially when your team has thirty three wins. But um, but you know, so I, th- I think it's sort of tough because I think he probably did a lot of the things that you saw him do in Detroit over the you know the five years or whatever it was. Um, but obviously, it just didn't really fit well in Milwaukee and looking at the type of defense they played and looking at the other personnel they have sort of last year as well as moving forward. Um, I think the obvious conclusion is that, you know, he just doesn't make a whole lot of sense as a fit. And um, that's obviously why you've been hearing his name and in, in, uh, attempted trade rumors, at least for probably six months or so. I, I'm glad you brought up Zaza Pachilia and Jared Dudley. I even throw in Ursan Ilyasov into that because I think yeah. for how good the Bucks were two years ago, those, those guys were so underrated, not the, not much upside left even then or any for any of them, but they're just veterans who know how to play, who know where to be, who position themselves so well on both ends of the floor. And I thought, I really thought the Bucks knew what they were doing when they let those guys go and said, okay, we're willing to take a step back, to take a bigger step forward, to empower some of our younger players, to clear up cap space for more talent in Greg Monroe, and they'll ride out the bumps. Their reaction to everything they did suggests that wasn't a knowing move, that they thought they would continue to go forward. Uh, do you think there's any chance now that after a rocky year, but a year really that was rocky because the Bucks were relying on so many young players in some ways, do you think that this equips Milwaukee to have a better season this upcoming year? I, I don't know about necessarily this year. I think sort of going through the process of, you know, switching from a team that, you know, again was this sort of scrappy uh, and maybe stealthily reliant on veteran defensive team uh, two years ago. Because a lot of people, I think, you know, 
obviously Chris Middleton had a breakout year two years ago. Giannis kind of went from, you know, a interesting but not really productive rookie to a guy uh, in 14-15 who was actually like a good NBA player, like getting to, you know, a guy who was was more than just a highlight reel guy. Um, and Jabari didn't really play at all and wasn't particularly, you know, helpful when he did. So, you know, you look at the success of that team, it was really – um, probably much more reliant on some of those veterans than you know people wanted to um, to admit. Um, so I, I think that that was uh, you know sort of a thing that got glossed over a lot. And I think the Bucks did. Um, I think they underestimated how much they would miss the veteran leadership of guys like Zaza and Jared Dudley. Um, and I think that's why you know maybe uh, they overcorrected a bit with uh, you know bringing back. Steve Novak, Jason Terry coming over, um, you know, trying to get a scrappy defensive guy like Delavadova. I mean, I'm I'm fine with those moves. Uh, I don't know how much you know Novak and Terry are going to help, given they're obviously not as productive players as as guys like Zaza and Dudley were. Um, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how things kind of mesh together this year because I think they realized that they were a bit short on on the veteran side last year. But you know, ultimately, guys have to have to be good on the court too. So. It'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, they're still um, at least a year or two away from, you know, really kind of, I think, becoming a, a, a surefire playoff team. I think this year they're just sort of in that, you know, mess of teams from, you know, 13 to 5, which, um, you know, I think they're, they're somewhere in there. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they miss the playoffs. But I, I do think they have a chance, you know, depending on how some of those key young guys uh, evolve and develop. But um We'll see. I think it was probably a kind of necessary step in some ways, even if they didn't necessarily intend to, to you know, be as unsuccessful as they were. But kind of taking the training wheels off and, you know, giving the ball uh, eventually to, to Giannis and uh, getting Jabari Parker obviously very involved. I think those obviously were, were positive things. So it was a losing season, but I would say um, far from a lost season. I've, I've got two more Greg Monroe questions for you because, <laughs> because I, I just find him so compelling because he's so talented and in a previous generation would have been – such a, a key player, the way teams used to play. And I think the NBA at some point is going to swing back to knowing what to do with guys like Greg Monroe. But I just don't think anybody knows right now. But he's still good. Like, he's doing what he always, like, grew up, what he always developed to do. So I, I just find him very interesting as a player. Uh, so I'll ask him together so we can get off Greg Monroe and move on <laughs> after this. But one, I think his trade value has bottomed out. Probably yep. can't deal him. Uh how would you use him this year? I sort of look at the the center hierarchy as uh, Greg Monroe is the most talented. Miles Plumley is the least talented of the three, and John Henson somewhere in between. Uh, but as far as fit, it's the exact opposite order. So how would yeah. you? How should the Bucks use him this year if he's still around? And if you could, if there were a team with cap space that would just take his contract off the Bucks' hands and give Milwaukee nothing in return, would you do it? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I've kind of pondered uh the pelicans have always been the team that have been kind of linked uh with him i think zach Lowe mentioned that there was they were probably closer to a deal than than anyone realized early in the summer maybe it was around the draft and they were also a team that that got mentioned uh around the trade deadline in february and i I imagine when i've been looking at that roster my guess has been that it's you know basically been a just sort of a salary dump type situation and that's why the bucks probably haven't um been able to convince themselves to bite the bullet you know like something like you know Tyreek Evans who is expiring and who knows if and when he'll actually you know start playing basketball again after all his knee surgeries um as well as uh, you know maybe a guy like Alexis Ajinsa um who is you know 
not a great player, but is is uh, is not wildly overpaid, and you know gives you some some big man depth. Um, not that the Bucks necessarily need a, a lot of it at this point, but you know a guy you could bury on the bench if you want, or or could play it at some point. Um, and you know obviously it's like well, no one would have thought uh, a year ago that that you'd be thinking about doing a trade like that or or a salary cap dump move. Um, I think a lot of it though, it's kind of hard to to judge because I think on talent you would say. Well, you don't give away a guy like that. He's too productive, you know. Whether you're looking at advanced metrics like RPM or, um, you know, just his, you know, the, the double double type stats he he tends to give you when he, you know, you give him 30 minutes. Uh, it's not the kind of guy who, even if he's not a perfect fit, that, that doesn't have a role uh, on an NBA team. So I think to me the question is, you know, what kind of conversations have happened between Jason Kidd or will happen between Jason Kidd and Greg Monroe and. David Falk, his his agent, to sort of see what uh, what kind of role they're going to be comfortable with, because uh, certainly when you look at the grand scheme of of this team, and as you mentioned, some of the fit stuff, I think you'd from a fit standpoint love to to start Plumlee or, or Henson, just because they don't need the ball; they're more of just sort of rim runners. Henson's obviously a better shot blocker. Plumlee isn't you know a great positional defender, but at least has some athleticism to you know occasionally erase some mistakes. Um, so you'd much rather kind of roll one of those guys, and you know even if they're only playing 20 minutes as a situational starter, and then bring Monroe off the bench. Uh, but you know when push comes to shove, is is Greg Monroe going to you know get grumpy and be kind of a negative in the locker room? Not that he's a bad guy, but is he going to be you know not thrilled when he's playing 20 to 25 minutes and he's looking at you know man I thought I was going to opt out of my deal and get a huge new contract this summer and now I'm coming off the bench so I think that's sort of probably the the tough question I think talent wise you know bringing him off the bench makes a lot of sense and suddenly the Bucks feel way deeper and a lot more interesting and dynamic from a, a rotational standpoint but again is he going to be willing to do that I don't know all right, so let's let's move on from Greg Monroe. You 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 mentioned you know you have the Bucks in that large middle tier in the East, and I'm not sure they're they're one of the few teams I I don't know what tier to put them in. I think the Cavs are the top tier by themselves. I yep. think the Celtics and Raptors are in the tier, the second tier. Yep. And then I think uh, in the from the bottom, the Nets and 76ers are in a bottom tier. Yep. And then there are three teams who I'm not sure if they belong, but like either uh, like in their own lower tier or in that four through whatever, and that's the Magic Bucks and Knicks. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I mean, I think the Knicks are so weird because they are, you know, everyone I think was rightly questioning what are they doing in the grand scheme, kind of long term view of the franchise this summer, but. If you're just looking at it from a one-year time horizon, um, it could be okay, right? I mean, they could they could certainly win over 40 games. That wouldn't surprise me at all. And obviously, it's it's tough because so much of of that team is dependent on on health, and then guys kind of bouncing back to varying extents and being able to mesh with one another. And I think the Magic are also kind of interesting because it's like, you know, everybody was sort of like looking at what they're doing this summer and saying, like, what, how is this going to work? But, I mean, they have a lot of talent. It's just a question of, you know, 
as and I, and I like Frank Vogel a lot. I mean, I think I'm I'm maybe more skeptical of the Pacers um upside than than some people after their summer in large part because of Vogel leaving. So, I, I guess I have to be a little bit more optimistic on the, the Magic than many people cuz I, I do kind of, you know, think of him highly and and you know, he's kind of one of those guys you you know that you're going to probably maximize your defensive ability and and they obviously have some some athletes and some weapons there, but um but yeah, I, I think it's fair to lump them in there. Um and I think with the Bucks too, I mean, you know, maybe it's me trying to talk myself into uh, them having maybe some sliver of upside to to be as good as like a fifth seed or something like that. It's tough. I mean, I would say the the you know kind of completing out the the tiers you're talking about, and you can tell me if you agree. I think I'd probably put the Hornets as my kind of number four, and then the Pistons probably thereafter, and sort of from an expected basis. Um, and a lot of that obviously has to do with. The two coaches who obviously have a history together um, and just feeling like especially Frank Vogel, given given what we know about that roster and how much he's been able to get out of it. I feel like they're a, a pretty safe bet. Like I'd be I'd be very surprised if the Hornets didn't make the playoffs, especially with MKG coming back, even though they obviously lost some guys as well. But um, but yeah, I think beyond that, um, it's it's tough. And uh, well, well, I guess we can get into the Pistons here in a second. But um, but it is kind of hard to make heads or tails. A lot of these teams, I think the Wizards are also kind of one of those teams. It's like. Everyone thought they'd be much better last year, and they just weren't. And then you kind of look at some of the intangible stuff going around with the franchise, and it's kind of tough to see if they kind of do make that big back bounce back, or or maybe last year is just what they are. Yeah, I have the Pistons uh, atop that very jam-packed tier, and obviously because all these teams are in the same tier, I'm not hugely confident in that. Uh, and if the Bucks are in there too, this would apply to them. It's such a dangerous position because okay I think the Pistons are going to finish fourth in the east if you ask me to pick a team who's fourth I don't think the Hornets are a bad choice I don't have them far behind uh and and I also don't think the Wizards are are far behind but even if you're just a little bit behind what we think is fourth you could be ninth or tenth and you could be out of the playoffs and that's a world of difference yeah I mean I I'm curious to see where the eighth seed lands in terms of wins because I think I think a lot of people are so used to just ragging on the East as, mm-hmm. as a whole that people kind of gloss over the kind of weird depth it has. And, you know, I get that people are generally going to judge a conference more on sort of how many you know con- con- title contenders it has. Um, but it is interesting looking at the West, you know, Oklahoma City, I mean, I think they'll still be be solid to maybe good, but they obviously were, were taken out of that, that contender rank with with Durant leaving and so it'll be interesting if if you know uh, Toronto maybe or or Boston Boston probably has more maybe upside but um probably longer term upside with all the picks um it'll be interesting to see if one of those teams can kind of make a more compelling case to maybe not be a true title contender but at least be in that you know 50 mid 50 win range where the Raptors were last year so um it's interesting to see but care let me let me ask you a question about the Pistons so you have them fourth um I think one of the the really key things. I mean, I always like to look at just you know obviously net rating and, and offensive rating, defensive rating, and kind of where teams are relatively. And the hard part for the Bucks is they were bottom ten in the league in both offense and defense. So you know if you're thinking about it, if you're trying to become an average team, you're not going to do it by being you know below, squarely below average on both offense and defense. So they got to improve. And I think the interesting with the Pistons is. The offense and the defense was, you know, both of those were slightly above average last year. And I kind of wonder, I mean, when you look at this team to sort of ultimately take a, a step up this year and I guess another 
kind of leap in the longer term. I mean, do you view this as a team that is going to be one that defines itself defensively, sort of a more traditional Stan Van Gundy team, or um, do you think it's one that can be elite on both ends? I don't know about elite on either end. Uh, And I think they're going to continue to be balanced. I think that's just sort of their strength in having a a balanced roster, Uh, you know, good players, one through five in the starting lineup, and really to the point where you have solid backups at at least four of the five positions. So I, I think they're just going to be balanced, and I think they could they could be pretty streaky uh, because they rely on some so-so three-point shooters to make threes, guys like Reggie Jackson and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, uh, even Tobias Harris and Marcus Morris also, uh, guys who can be streaky, and they have players whose defensive efforts uh, – just sort of tune up when when they're making their shots. So I think the Pistons are really going to be a, a team that's at times really good on both ends, uh, but also when they slip, they could slip in equal parts on both ends, and it, it could look pretty bad. Uh, but I do think the sum of those parts will be pretty solid. I think one of the things that make the makes the Pistons so interesting is that you know the nominal franchise player, Andre Drummond, is... I, I feel like he's one of the more bizarre kind of franchise players because it feels like the kind of guy where, where he's amazingly impactful and yet you also feel like you need, you know, I don't know, two great offensive players around him just because of his limitations um, offensively. And obviously the free throw stuff is, you know, well documented. And, you know, I mean, I, 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 you watched obviously a lot more than I did. It, you know, he doesn't strike me as a guy that you're ever going to go to, you know, in, in fourth quarters for buckets, um, you know, given the, the foul situation. Um, so it, it's sort of one of these weird things where it's like he's like the world's greatest third banana or something. Um, and I look at the rest of the roster and I kind of think, like you were saying, you've got all these guys who are uh, young and, you know, seem decent to good at this stage. And I just don't know if anybody has sort of that huge ceiling to maybe compliment Andre in a way that can really, you know, elevate you to, to, you know, kind of that title contending status. And obviously this is still a young team and like the bucks, it's, you know, you kind of don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but how do you kind of view and how do Pistons fans view um, the core that they have? Because obviously with the Bucks, sort of it's all in on Jabari, Giannis and Chris and, you know, how, whatever chances are of those guys panning out, that's really going to determine kind of the long term upside of this team. But how do people view the Pistons, especially given that they're, you know, deep, but, you know, aside from Drummond, maybe don't have those obvious kind of potential star players? Uh, that's a great question. I think that's really the fundamental question for the Pistons long term building is that they've locked into this core, and is this core good enough? And it's it's questionable. Uh, as far as Drummond being an atypical franchise player, yeah, he is, but the Pistons just had one of those in Ben Wallace, and they won a championship with right. him. So we've we've seen how that dynamic can work. It's not the easiest thing, it, and to some degree it makes sense when your best player can also be your go-to scorer, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, and that will require Reggie Jackson getting better. It will require... Tobias Harris and Catavius Caldwell Pope getting better. Uh, as far as a second star, I don't know if that's likely. Probably the Pistons' biggest strength, if all goes well, is that they're going to have several pretty good players around Andre Drummond and cohesiveness. And I think there is a lot to be said about team chemistry and players being comfortable with each other. And because this core is fairly locked in, 
uh, the Pistons have a chance to develop that. Maybe that's not the type of thing that gives you a ton of upside, but maybe it gives you enough to be a pretty credible playoff threat. Like I see the Pistons topping out as not a a clear championship contender or anything like that, but the type of team that if you are if they're in the right place in the right year and catch some breaks like that could win a title. Probably not like most of those teams do not. But occasionally, like, I don't know the best because usually it's the team that is actually like dominant or near dominant that wins. Probably the best example I can think of in the last few years is like the 2011 Mavericks, who are not a world beating team. Some earlier Mavericks teams look better, uh, but they came together. They played well together in the right year when the when the Heat did not have that chemistry. I was going to say real quick, another team sort of like that, I think, is the Trailblazers when they had LaMarcus Aldridge, Damian Lillard, Wesley Matthews, uh, Nicholas Batum, uh, that, and Robin Lopez, that group. They never crack through, but I feel like there's not necessarily a huge difference between those types of teams and where the Pistons could get. And it's interesting because you mentioned you know Ben Wallace and the team that, that won a championship. Uh, and it's so fascinating because that team was so atypical compared to what we normally think of as the way that you build uh, a title contending team and obviously that was a team that uh had a lot more sustained success you could you would say than a team like the Mavericks team you, you just mentioned you know a team that um you know had another finals trip and I don't know how many straight years they won 50 games and were in the east finals but it was you know uh, a team that that certainly was not a flash in the pan and even though I think a lot of people obviously were shocked when they won the title in 2004 it was a team that um that had staying power and that obviously is really impressive and uh, certainly it's interesting because I think from the outside um you know with, with I think especially in Milwaukee with with John Hammond coming from Detroit I think there was a lot of talk when he came over in 2008 of oh well can the Bucks you know since they can't acquire traditional franchise players you know can Hammond find some way to mimic this the you know roster construction that that they used uh, with Joe Dumars in Detroit obviously that hasn't hasn't happened um and but, I don't but know you how. guys got a star I mean I think Giannis is just awesome the sky's the limit like the Pistons always wanted a star. They tried to trade for Allen Iverson. They tried to trade for Kobe Bryant before that, you know, when as they were putting together this championship team, they just couldn't get one. And so they sort of settled for this and it worked. But you guys got the star. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think um, I'm always nervous uh, to, to, you know, get ahead of myself with Giannis. I think, I mean, I don't even know how much he needs to, obviously he needs to improve, but I don't know if he needs to become a great three-point shooter or even a good three-point shooter to be a great player. I think certainly what we saw from him after the All-Star break, I mean, it was, you know, a 28-game sample, but, um, you know, there just aren't many guys in history, in the history of the league that have sort of put up the kind of numbers he did. And um, I think it's, it's everybody's really excited. I think he's, that's probably the number one reason why Bucks fans are, are really excited for this coming season. Season, not because you know everybody's expecting a playoff trip or you know anything necessarily of of that variety, but just being able to see him hopefully blossom as as you know the full time primary ball handler will, will be exciting. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, sort of, and, and you were, were kind of getting there a little bit talking about um, the Pistons previously looking to trade and acquire a star. Uh, so looking at this roster, I mean, there's a ton of depth uh, and it's young players as well. Uh, is this a team, I mean, could you see Stan Van Gundy, um, you know, if the franchise is, let's say, if, if they are around where they were last year, uh, come trade deadline or come next summer, whatever it might be, 
can, could you see them trying to package up, you know, multiple assets? They've obviously got uh, a number of younger guys who who are, you know, the Stanley Johnsons, Henry Allensons, guys who haven't necessarily played at a high level in the NBA, but are, are young and cheap. And then they've obviously got um, other guys who who are more proven and kind of in those early to mid twenties that that are proven kind of borderline to, to solid starters um, like Tobias. Obviously, Reggie Jackson is an established player at this point, and um, Marcus Morris, KCP. Uh, could you see them kind of doing a swing for the fences type trade move, or do you think that they're going to be pretty patient with the core, even if you know it doesn't have necessarily that that star power? Well, I think the plan is to be patient with the core, but if somebody comes available, I would hope they would look at it. I mean, if if a real star comes available, the problem is the Celtics are out there looming. There are other teams. It's hard to see the Pistons putting together a strong enough package where they'd be the team to get the star and I think a lot of this has to do with why there aren't more trades in the NBA Uh, and this theory I have is if you took all 30 NBA general managers and all of a sudden assigned them a new team randomly there'd be a ton of trades but the reason there aren't now is because players sort of wind up on the team that valued them most so somebody like Stanley Johnson I don't I wouldn't be surprised if there's not a single president or general manager in the league who values him more than Stan Van Gundy. Van Gundy drafted him. Van Gundy really likes his competitiveness, his personality. He's around it every day, and he sees all these positives about Stanley Johnson, uh, and I think maybe even overrates him a little bit. So I, I think that's working against the Pistons now making a big trade. Is this roster, uh, with the exception of Drummond and KCP, and I think Van Gundy likes both of them, are all players he acquired. So it's hard to find a team that's going to value Van Gundy's players as much as Van Gundy values them. What about um, Contavious Caldwell-Pope? I mean, in um, Milwaukee, there's still the assumption that Giannis will probably get extended before um, the deadline this fall. Uh, KCP, if I'm not mistaken, is um, is also eligible for, yeah, he's yes. 2013. Uh, what do you think happens there with KCP? He's obviously probably a tougher guy to peg because, you know, he's not like Giannis, a guy that everybody's, you know, the franchise is banking on to become a star. Uh, do you think a deal gets done? And I mean, what kind of money would you, would you expect to see a guy like KCP get? It's tough. I mean, he's, he's a very good defensive player. Uh, he's a very streaky three-point shooter without much more in his offensive game. He's not a distributor. He can attack a little bit on straight-line drives, but he's fairly limited beyond being a spot-up shooter, uh, for especially for his starting shooting guard. Uh, his, his biggest plus, to some degree, is that he's quieted Pistons fans complaining about Chris Middleton being thrown into the <laughs> what we really should call the Chris Middleton trade uh, right. because finally like the Pistons have another viable shooting guard or even pretty good uh, in the free agent class next year, there are very few good shooting guards available. It's like Contavious Caldwell Pope and Victor Oladipo. And that's a position that teams increasingly need as the league goes small. You play three wings often instead of two. And so I think, I think he's going to get max offers in free agency. Uh, it's not a guarantee. And so I think the Pistons really should be looking at it from the perspective of, He'll probably get max offers. We can we should figure out how much less we can give him because he's getting security. Like he's getting something in exchange. He's still getting a ton of money. Uh, but really, the right way to look at it might be starting at the max salary of about twenty four million and just working your way down to however low you can get, and that's how much savings you get. 
So one question, and this will be my last question. We're, we're bumping up against close to a, a half hour here. Um, so you, I always enjoy it when you're on the Dunked On podcast with with Nate and, and Danny because you guys are, are all cap nerds, and I, I love that stuff. Uh, and one of the things that I find really interesting is I'm fascinated to see how the free agent market evolves next summer. And let's put aside for a moment the you know likelihood of, of CBA changes. And you know if we just assume sort of that the world unfolds sort of as it's been projected um, with the cap going up uh, you know a bit, but not as much as maybe people thought a year ago next summer. Um, I just have this feeling that I think there's now this assumption that the market we saw this summer is just you know, the new normal and it's just going to increase and increase and increase. I've been kind of wondering and I, you know, and I haven't kind of crunched numbers on this and looked at like how many teams are going to have cap space next summer, but we know that obviously kind of the numbers spent this summer were more than I think the NBA projected. Uh, and that's, you know, probably why the, the cap was projected to go down next summer, but or not down, but not go up by as much as originally thought. Could you see contracts maybe, like a lot of the deals we saw this summer, could a lot of deals we saw this summer end up looking especially, well, not especially bad, but but worse next summer? I mean, I'm just wondering, especially with a team like the Bucks. you know, I'm looking at a deal like the Plumlee deal, which felt like a clear overpay this summer. And I'm just kind of wondering, that could look even worse next summer, couldn't it? It could, although I sort of had a, a different take on it. I think your thinking is a little more in line with how Nate Duncan viewed a lot of these deals. Uh, for me, I think this summer was a lot about, all right, who can you attract? Because this year matters. Like, the Bucks got in Plumlee. They get maybe uh, the best-fitting center on their roster, maybe who somebody who should be their starting center. Uh, I like the Matthew Dellavedova signing a lot. I think he's an ideal complement to Giannis at point guard, somebody who can defend point guards and spot up for threes. Uh, I don't really know what... Toledovich is going to do because we haven't I haven't seen like that exact type of stretch four in the system uh, but I'm curious like I think it definitely adds another element uh, so the Bucks aren't throwing away this year they're they're getting something for this and so I in the Pistons sort of did a similar thing how they got Ish Smith and uh, John Luer. so yeah these teams are not going to be as strongly positioned next year the cap is not going to shoot up as much but they did get good players into their system and they're going to be better this year for it. There's value in that. I think it will definitely be interesting to watch. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at there. Any other final questions, Dan, about uh, the, but can you think of any more Greg Monroe questions that you'd like to hassle me? <laughs> oh, with? I've, I've got a million, but I, <laughs> I I'm going to, I'm going to let you get going. <laughs> All right. Next time, uh, I'll just make it all about asking Chris Middleton questions um, so that I can at least try to exact some revenge. But uh, thanks so much, Dan. I think this has been fun. And uh, I guess we'll we'll see on the court this year whether uh, whether the the Bucks can make up some some much needed ground on the Pistons and whether the Pistons can uh, can make that leap that um, or or at least take that next step that that obviously folks in uh, in Michigan are expecting. Sounds good. And thanks again to Dan Feldman for joining us from Locked On Pistons. Hope you feel like you learned something about one of the Bucks' key Central Division rivals. And yes, I guess we're acting like divisions matter, which uh, they don't really that much anymore. But, um, of course, an interesting team, certainly in the Eastern Conference. Conferences do matter, and they'll be, I think, a fun team to see evolve, given that uh, age-wise, I think the Pistons are pretty similar to the Bucks in a lot of ways, and their, their prime will probably overlap pretty closely with 
the Bucks. So thanks again to Dan. Check out Lock on Pistons if you have any Detroit Pistons podcasting needs. And of course, check out us, Locked on Bucks, on Audio Boom or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or RSS. We've got all the info on uh, our pre- our page on Baruch.com, and we'll talk to you guys very soon. Thanks.